Well, good morning. It's good to be here with everyone. Um, just a few things wanted to start off with, and then we're going to go off-site this morning. So uh, just kind of stay tuned on that. But we are continuing through our Roman series, and we are part two talking about peace. Thought that fits really well with Easter celebration. We've already had some great worship music. We've already had some prayer. We've had some scripture reading, and we're going to continue because God is totally worth it. So also wanted to let you know that while we go through our time together, you can text your questions if there's something that's said, maybe there's something that God's just laid on your heart and you'd like to ask a question about that, text your question to that number right there. And either at the end, we'll take a couple minutes and be able to answer that. Or this week, we'll spend some time answering your questions and post them Thursday night at six o'clock. So I uh, uh, went out and did this video earlier this week, uh, Sunrise. I hope you just enjoy God's word together. Go ahead and roll it. Well, good morning, and welcome to our outside service, so to speak. I'm so glad you could join us this morning. I wanted to take an opportunity to come outside as the sun's coming up to try to capture what it might have been like on Easter morning. So I want to read to you from John chapter 20, several verses that speak about that morning. John chapter 20, starting with verse 1. On the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark. And she saw that the stone had been removed from the tomb, so she went running to Simon Peter and to the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said to them, They've taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they've put him. At that, Peter and the other disciple went out heading for the tomb. And the two were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and got to the tomb first. Stooping down, he saw linen cloths lying there, but did not go in. Then following him, Simon Peter also came, and he entered the tomb and saw the linen cloths lying there. The wrapping that had been on his head was not lying in the linen cloths, but was folded up in a separate place by itself. The other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, then also went in, saw, and believed, for they did not yet understand the scripture, that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples returned to the place where they were staying. But Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she was crying, she stooped to look into the tomb, and she saw two angels in white sitting where Jesus' body had been lying, one on the head and the other at the feet. Then they said to her, Woman, why are you crying? Because they've taken away my Lord, she told them, and I don't know where they've put him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not know it was, it was Jesus. Woman, Jesus said to her, why are you crying? Who is it that you're seeking? Supposing he was the gardener, she replied, sir, if you've carried him away, please tell me where you've put him, and, and I'll take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. And turning around, she said to him in Aramaic, Rabbani, which means teacher, don't cling to me, Jesus told her, since I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brothers and tell them that I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. And she told them what he had said to her. That morning was an incredible morning, almost 2,000 years ago. 
the disciples, the ones who had talked with Jesus, Mary, who had spent time with Jesus, watched him die, who was crucified. But then they went to the tomb, and he was no longer there, and they began to realize slowly, one by one, started to know he's alive. He's alive. And that's what we celebrate today. It's amazing. What an awesome Savior we have. We've been going through Romans together as a church. And to the passage that we're going to be in today, it really fits well uh, as did the passage last week. Because the passage last week talked about how we were, we were dead to sin and we had been baptized and raised into new life. That new life, we're raised with Christ, we're united with Him and raised into a new life. And we continue this theme of being in Christ, in rising to, to new life in Christ. And as we do, we say no to the old life. We say no to the things that once entrapped us. And so we start with Romans chapter 6. Verse 15 is our text, but I'm going to go back to verse 14 because I want you to see something here. He says, For sin will not rule over you because you were not under the law but under grace. And we talked about that last week, and one of the questions that came up from last week was this. Well, we had about three or four questions that were similar to this, and that was, How do I know that I have genuine faith? How do I know that I'm not saying that I'm following Christ, but then, but then I fall back into sin. And if I fall back into sin, does God still love me? Does he, does he forgive me? Is my faith genuine? Is it, is it authentic? Is it real? I want to share with you a few things before we jump into the passage. One, you were created to walk with God. It goes all the way back to Genesis chapter 1 and 2. He, he tells us we were formed, we were made in his image. He, he desires and established us to have a relationship with him. But then you go to chapter 3, and Adam and Eve, they were in the garden, and they ate of a fruit that they were told not to eat. And when they did, they brought sin into the world. And when that sin came into the world, which is disobedience to God, and it's turning away from God, that's what sin is, at least that's the context I want to be talking about today. When we turn away from God, when we disobey Him, well, that's sin. And they brought sin into the world. And so that walk with God, they had this perfect communion with God. They perfectly walked with God. That, that walk with God ended at that moment. Now fast forward about 4,000 years, and Jesus comes to the earth, and He walks a walk that could not have been walked by anybody else. He was perfect. And so he comes and he fulfills the law. He fulfills everything that the Old Testament, the Mosaic law, and everything it talked about. He fulfilled it. He was perfect. He had a perfect relationship with the Father because he was fully God and he was fully man. And he was able to do so. And so as he does, he lives this life that he, that you and I, excuse me, that we could not live. He walked a lock. And then he went to the cross ultimately because people, the religious leaders of the day, didn't like him. He was, he was too perfect. He was too wonderful. He, he could say things that pointed out their faults, and they hated that. And so they crucified him. They put him on the cross. And then three days later, he rises from the dead. And when he rose from the dead, he came back to his disciples, and he came back to his followers. He says, if you believe in me, if you believe, you will have eternal life. You will have my righteousness. And he gives them 
the righteousness. And he says, if you have faith in me, you can walk with God again. Well, let's talk about that authentic faith. How do you know it's real? How do you, it's genuine? How do you know that you believe? And I'm just going to give you three points today for that. One, you repent. That means you were walking one direction at one point, and you decided, oh, you realized, oh, hey, I'm not walking the way God wants me to walk. And so you turn, and you start to follow him. That's what people had to do in the early church. That's what we have to do today. We're born to follow our own desires, our own wants. We're follow, we're, we're, we follow our own philosophies. We follow the world and what the world has to say. We need to turn and follow Christ. So we repent. That's what repent means. Turn 180 degrees and go in the right direction. So we, re we repent. Secondly, we confess. We confess that Jesus is Lord. Romans 10.9 says that if we confess with our mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead, we will be saved. Confession. We believe and are saved. And then we live. We're going to get into Romans chapter 12 later, but Romans 12 talks about how we live a life for Christ. How we struggle, we're going to get into chapter 7 and chapter 8, that's all about the struggle. But we have confidence, in chapter 8 we have confidence that the, the, the blood of Christ, the death, burial, and the resurrection of Christ, and the power of Christ is enough to forgive us and give us eternal life. We fail. But the one who has genuine faith, when they fail, they're convicted and they realize and they know that they've fallen and they come back to God and they say, please forgive me. And we know, 1 John 1, 9, that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and he forgives us our sins and cleanses us from all unrighteousness. Those three things, repent, confess, and live your life for him, with him in charge. That's what we're going to talk about even more today. Let's look at verse 15 here. What then? Should we sin because we are not under the law but under grace? In other words, hey, I don't have to, I don't have to follow this law anymore. See all these do's and don'ts? See this list? See these things that are over here that, that I'm supposed to be going through my life and checking them off? I don't have to follow those anymore because I'm under grace, right? Unfortunately, there are people who actually think that when he says we're under grace, that we can just kind of do whatever we want to do. In fact, there are some who would even go so far to say that when you place your faith in Jesus Christ, the purpose of God and the purpose of Jesus is to come behind you and help you be the best you you can be. But that's not true. That's not true. Please hear this. What God has planned for you is much bigger than what you have planned for you. You see, what God has planned for you is what he created you to do. Ephesians 2.10, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works which he prepared in advance for us to do. That's so much bigger than you and I can ever think or imagine. We oftentimes limit God. We need to let him take charge. We need to follow him. It could be an adventure. It could be tough. It could be uh, times you want to give up. But it's a great walk, and that's the walk we need to take. What should we say? Should we sin because we're not under the law but under grace? He gives an emphatic, absolutely not. Don't you know that if you offer yourselves to someone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of that one you obey? 
either of sin leading to death or of, of obedience leading to righteousness. And in other words, we have to follow somebody, right? It's either one that leads to disobedience, one that takes us away from God, or one that brings us closer to Christ and righteousness and all that God has planned and designed for us. It seems to me, at least if I've observed and read through Scripture, that there's three people you can follow. One, Satan. Two, the world, yourself, the flesh, all of those kind of all wrapped together. Or three, God. Which do you want to be a slave to? What's the most powerful? What's the most wise? What's the greatest counselor out there? It's got to be God. It's got to be your creator. It's got to be the one who had salvation planned out and figured out and gave it to you and gave it to me. That's the one we ought to be following. Why wouldn't we? But thank God, verse 17, although you used to be slaves of sin, you obeyed from the heart the pattern of teaching to which you were handed over. He's saying, at one point you were following this, this sinful life or your own wants and desires, and it was going away from God. Again, that's the idea of sin, going away from God. You were going that direction. But, but you begin to follow the teachings. You begin to follow the patterns and the teachings of what God wants, and the patterns and the teachings of what God wants are you to, to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, to, to come to him and repent and give, you his, give, give him your sins and say, here they are, have them. They're, I want to get rid of them. I want to, to, to give them over to you because of what you have done. You've, you've died for my sins. Here they are. And once you believe that and you believe that he physically rose from the dead, he actually rose from the dead and you place your faith in that. And you've accepted a new teaching, a new faith. It's not about you. It's about him. That you can't save yourself. He saves you. And that's, that's the teaching that you come to believe. And having been set free from sin, you became enslaved then to righteousness. I'm using a human analogy because of the weakness of your flesh. For just as you offered the parts of yourself as slaves to impurity into greater and greater lawlessness, so offer yourselves as slaves to righteousness, which results in sanctification. He goes on to talk about how when we follow the disobedience, when we turn away from God, we just continue to turn away from God. We continue to sin, and, and lawlessness produces more lawlessness, and it just is kind of a, a snowball effect where you just get worse and worse and worse. He says, well, the opposite is also true, that if you, if you begin to follow Christ, and you begin to do what's right, and you begin to go his direction, well, then it makes more sense to follow him more, and then you go, oh, look at what God's doing in my life, and you follow him even more, and it's great, and it builds, and, and it goes to sanctification, and he uses a different word here. See, there's justification when you place your faith in Christ, and you're forgiven of your sins. Sanctification is growing in Christ, becoming more and more like Christ. Glorification is the final state we get to when we go to heaven. That's what we really long for. But right now, we're being sanctified. We're becoming more like Christ. People who say no to sin, to put it off. I'm not going to go the direction away from God. I'm going to go towards God. I'm going to pursue God. Well, those, those will continue down the path of sanctification. Verse 20. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free with regard to righteousness. So what fruit was produced then from the things that you are now ashamed of? And he gives the answer there. He says the outcome of those things is death. You see, that's what sin leads to. Sin leads to death. But 
Now, since you have been set free from sin, you have become enslaved to God. You have for your fruit, which results in sanctification. And the outcome is eternal life. You see, following your own path and your own desires and your own wants, that just ultimately is going to lead to death. Now, that's the unbeliever. The person who has faith in Christ actually has eternal life. They point the, their eyes to Christ and their pursuits and their passions are Christ and not sin. The genuine believer repents, confesses, and lives their life for Christ. And they still struggle. Chapter 7, wait for that. We're going to get to it. But when you look at their life, you know that they have a relationship with Christ and not a relationship with sin. And that's what Paul's talking about. Verse 23, possibly the most well-known verse of this chapter. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And that summarizes really his whole point there. When you continue to pursue your own passions, when you continue to pursue the passions of this world and all of its wants and desires, and, and that's your focus, and that's your love, and that's the relationship you have, that leads, that leads to death. That's the penalty. You've turned away from God. The one who has turned their hearts to God has eternal life. They've accepted the free gift that Christ has given them, eternal life. He has been perfected for us, and we've accepted that. And I have a relationship with him now. And, and now my desire is not to just go through a checklist of do's and don'ts. My desire is to honor him with my life. My desire is to love him and serve him and be the kind of, of person that he created me to be, not the kind of person that I want to be. So I'm standing up here. The sun's just coming over the mountains right now. This is a beautiful place. I wish you could all be up here with me to see how beautiful the mountains are. On this side, we've got uh, the Snake River Valley. Over here is, are the cities. We have Boise and Bogus Basin in the distance. The sun is just coming up over the mountain range over there. And we have Nampa, the city that our church meets in. But there's one thing that you don't get to see yet but I want you to see it. Because in all of this beauty that we have around us, there's something, well, there's just something you need to come and look and see. So follow me over here. Let's see if this works. Lena, my, my daughter is our, our camera lady today, so she's going to follow me over and see if we can get a picture of what's going on behind us here. Over this hill lies our trash. And uh, if you look down, this is, this is called Pickle Butte, and this is the, the Canyon County waste dump. My trash from probably last week is down there. <laughs> In fact, I know that there's trash church down there because I've dropped it off there before. I wanted to come up here and show you something that in the background you have, have Nampa. And I don't know how well you can see it, but in the background is Nampa. And that's, that's our town. That's our city. That's where we're going to present the gospel. and We're presenting the truth to people. That's, that's the place we do ministry. Between us here and there is, is a bunch of garbage. 
And it's amazing, amazing that in that pile down there, which is actually kind of cleaned up, there's a lot of dirt over the top of it, but underneath all that dirt is a bunch of trash. It just kind of reminds me, as Paul made an analogy here, I wanted to make an analogy this morning, that oftentimes what we do with our garbage and trash is we take it into a hole, we throw it into a hole, and then we bury it. The stuff we don't want, that's how we get rid of it. I've seen pieces of trash that are huge. It used to be you could throw away refrigerators, stoves, things like that. That's, that's, those, I think those days are kind of gone. And then there's the little twisty ties. You know those little twisty ties that you get uh, at Christmas time and, and they're in the kids' boxes and you gotta take like an hour to untwist every single one? <laughs> and then there's those little tiny plastic, uh, uh, I don't know what they call them even, the little plastic uh, pieces that are on the, the bread packages and the closers and you pull them off and they're just little tiny things and we throw them in the garbage. It, my point is there's, there's garbage that's, that's small, there's garbage that's big and, and we pull it into a landfill, we compact it, we throw it away because we don't want it anymore. You know, that's the way we ought to approach sin. That's the way God handled sin. He hates sin. He doesn't want anything to do with sin. And so he wants to throw it away. He'd love to get rid of it completely. He'd love to just take it and say, let's wipe it out. And so here was his plan. Here my son is going to come and he's going to die on the cross. And when he dies on the cross, the wrath of God and sin is poured on Christ, the one who did not deserve to die. He becomes sin for us. You can throw away your trash today if you'd like to. And by trash, I'm talking about sin. I'm talking about the fact that you could take your sin and you could give it to God and you could say, here it is. I want to give you my sin. Please get rid of it. Please completely get rid of it. And when you do, you can now walk in newness of life. And that newness of life is an incredible life that you can have with God. And I wanted to give you that hope this morning because that's what the hope that, that the Bible gives us. That's the hope that the truth gives us. And I hope you understand that. I hope you know that. This passage we're talking about is, is asking us, please don't live in your sin any longer. If you have never placed your faith in Jesus Christ, this is the day to do it. Why? Why, why keep holding on to your disobedience and your sin? Why not just give it over to God? And if you are a believer in Jesus Christ and you've continued to struggle, he's continuing to remind us, get rid of it. Don't go back to your old way of life. Don't go back to a lifestyle that says, yes, uh, I, I'm going to continue to dabble in this sin over here and try to follow Christ. He says, no, separate yourself. Don't be a slave to that sin anymore. Get rid of it. And I'm sure if you're a follower of Christ, you've had that conviction, you've had that tension, so let it go. Just let it go. At the end of every service, we like to give an application point and then give you a couple minutes. And in giving you a couple minutes, it's time for you to reflect. And I'm going to give you something uh, to do in that couple of minutes. And you can do this at your own home as a way to say, Lord, I'm going to throw away some of the trash in my life. You most likely have a heavy burden you're carrying. Most of us do. I think all of us do, really, if we're 
if we're honest. It could be fear, anxiety, addiction, lust, or an assortment of other sins from your past. Let them go. Write them on a piece of paper and throw them in the garbage. Be free from whatever may weigh you down. Jesus rose from the dead to give you life. Live with a new freedom to do what God wants you to do.